What I particularly enjoy about that song every time uh, is that line, with angels and saints, and it gives us this glimpse into what heaven is like. And heaven is this place where we spend forever naming to God why he is worthy of praise. And so take a second and call to mind what makes God worthy of praise in your life this week. And as you're thinking about that, what quality or attribute of God's character comes to mind? I wonder if you would just speak that quality out loud. God, we just give you thanks for the ways that you are worthy of praise in our lives, the ways that you have made yourself big in our lives this week, when so many of our attempts to make you small, that's just been what we've been doing. And so come and be big in this place and in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to send the kids back with Miss Pam. And uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Landry's bling. Bye. Okay. Um, so this month is our fifth mer- birthday month, as we've been saying. And so after... Uh, the gathering time uh, would encourage you to go straight through to the Otterbein room and take a minute and say into a camera something that Jesus has done in your life through Regen. We're compiling that video that we'll show you at the end of the month. But you go through those doors and you can do it together. You can do it by yourself. You might feel like, I've only been here like for a little bit. You still have something to say about uh, what Jesus has done in your life through Regen, so please do that. I was thinking this morning about how many people and how many faith communities uh, took a big risk to make Regen happen. Uh, Steph this morning was here at Otterbein, the space we meet. There's a earlier service here at 9.30 that Steph preached at today, and thinking about the risk that Otterbein took to welcome us in, thinking about the risk that Warren First United Methodist takes, has taken, the risk that Grace has taken, Howland has taken to make this real, and just being really thankful again that, uh, the, that we get to be a part of this, that, that the Lord is really doing just remarkable things in people's lives in this community, and that we get to be here and a part of it and impacting generations. I just keep getting this sense that we are the beginning of what uh, God has in store for our community. 
and what he's had in mind. And I'm really just super thrilled to be in it with you. So get your face in the video. Be here parenting conference night. Um, if you are thinking about parenting or are a parent, it is going to lean toward younger kids, but um, would be valuable to anyone. Let's jump into Colossians chapter This might be it. I don't know. I can't decide if I'm going to preach a special message for our fifth birthday or not. So we might, it's just going to be, you're going to be in suspense all week. I know. (laughs) Colossians chapter four. Paul is calling this church in a city called Colossae and these Christians in it, he's calling them back to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus And he's got these strict, judgmental, self-righteous legalists over here and these anything goes, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die, what you would call antinomians. They're free grace, no laws needed, no rules are needed. He's got them on the other side and he's trying to draw these groups together into one to get Jesus at the center and throughout this letter, Paul has spoken beautifully of the privileges that come with following Jesus. The privileges that come with following Jesus, privileges that you and I love to enjoy. Uh, I love to enjoy the supremacy of Jesus over all things when a loved one is sick or I am worried and feeling out of control. I love to enjoy Jesus's victory over death and the grave when someone near to us passes. In fact, just this week, a dear friend from Grace Campus uh, who's just had a life really marked with a lot of physical suffering met Jesus yesterday morning and uh, we took Jack over there Thursday and as soon as Jack, we brought, walked in the room with Jack, he perked right up and talked to Jack. And those were some of the last words that he actually said. And I'm just so thankful that I can enjoy the fact that there will be a day that I get to see Dave again, right? I love enjoying the privilege of being what Paul calls the holy pe- part of the holy people whom God has chosen because he loves us. Paul says that in Colossians 3, we are his holy people chosen because of his love. I love to know that I am holy in God's sight because of Jesus, no matter what I do. I've been clothed with his righteousness. I love when I am feeling ashamed, when I am uh, feeling worthless, when I'm feeling broken, it is such a joy to be reminded that I am chosen. When I am feeling Uh, out of sorts, it is so good to be reminded that I am the object of his love and affection. I love the privileges that come with following Jesus. But what's interesting in Colossians 4 is Paul is kind of making a turn to help us see that when it comes to following Jesus, there's not just privileges to enjoy, there's responsibilities to take on. There's not just privileges to enjoy, there's responsibilities to take on. You know, one of those responsibilities Paul names in Colossians 3, he says, forgive one another just as Jesus forgave you. Okay, well, that's some pretty significant forgiveness. That's complete, utter, not bringing it to mind ever again, forgiveness. And Paul says, that's your responsibility. And Colossians 3 
Paul has all sorts of things to say about how to raise our families. Uh, He says in Colossians 3 that we're not, as dads, we're not supposed to aggravate our children. Uh, He says that wives are to submit to their husbands, and we can get into that later. Uh, He says, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. I mean, these are our responsibilities to have a family culture that looks a certain kind of way. Paul also names some of these forgiveness, uh, some of these, excuse me, responsibilities here in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, which is where we're going to spend our time. But I want us to see today that there are privileges and there are responsibilities and maturity, full-grown following Jesus means participating in both the privileges and the responsibilities. Taking in both, engaging in both. And so Paul says in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, that he has two particular responsibilities in mind. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and look at chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Do you notice the combination again of mind and heart? That thing that we saw at the very beginning of the book is coming together. In fact, all of the themes that Paul has talked about in the previous three chapters come to bear just in these few verses. With an alert mind and a thankful heart, pray for us too that God will give as many opportunities to speak about here, give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Jesus. That, the plan, is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Paul reminds the Colossians, that this good news that they have heard, this good news that has transformed their lives, not good advice, good news, it, it is part of a larger working of what God is doing, and he's inviting them into that larger working. I mean, remember back in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says to them, the good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. See, Paul is mapping their personal responsibility in their little corner of the world onto what God is doing big picture in the whole world. And that's what he's calling us into today, is to see our part of our responsibility as part of the larger thing of what God is doing. Listen, the reason that you are in this room is because somebody somewhere along the line decided to tell you about their life, had, why their life had been changed. That's why. Some of you wandered into a church, you had a grandparent, a grandfather, a grandmother that really poured into you, a mentor, a friend, a Sunday school teacher, somewhere along the line, someone took up their responsibility to make sure that you knew about this life-changing, life-transforming gospel of Jesus. And now Paul is saying to the Colossians, and he's saying to us, now it's our turn to take up that right. And, And he has two kinds of responsibilities in mind. He has proclamation and he has prayer in mind. And we're going to tackle prayer first. Prayer and proclamation. Paul says, 
Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us as well that God will give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message clearly as I should. See, what grabs our attention in this passage about prayer is, is it's the nature of prayer that Paul is looking for and its purpose. It's the quality of the prayer and its aim. See, the purpose of the prayer that Paul has in mind is kingdom, gospel-motivated, gospel-growing prayer for opportunities, he says, to see the gospel preached, this mysterious plan now revealed in Jesus, to pray that Paul's own proclamation would be clear and easily grasped by its hearers. Paul is calling the Colossian church to a gospel-focused, kingdom-expanding prayer And this is different than how you and I spend most of our time in prayer. We spend most of our praying lives praying for our bodily ailments, the ailments of mind and heart and soul, our finances, the things that we feel out of control of. We pray for these kinds of issues on behalf of others. When someone walks up to me after church and says, hey, we really need to be praying for, they never say, let's pray for, would you be please be praying for my neighbor who is far from Jesus and I've been really having good conversations with them? They always say, could you please pray for my great aunt Mildred's nephews, cousins, former roommates, vets, dog's toe. And that's not the kind of prayer Paul has in mind. Now hear me, your Father in heaven loves to hear you and talk with you about your concerns. He is absolutely delighted when you come to him with concerns about your kids, with concerns about your marriage, with your worries about tomorrow and your finances and your ailments of body and your ailments of mind. He loves to be your comforter and your father and your provider Yet the Father also has his eye on a bigger picture than your comfort and my comfort and the comfort of those in our circles. See, the Father has his eye on something bigger. He has in his heart a yearning for you and I, his people, to pray for God's kingdom to come. For Jesus to return for the work before us to reach its end. Second, Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, to, seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And to be fully committed in Second Chronicles 16, it, it, it's not fully committed to talk to Jesus about my ingrown toenail. It's fully committed to talk to Jesus to beat against the walls of heaven to see renewal and revival come to our city and to our region and to our families, for our neighbors and our friends and our family members that don't know Jesus to come to know him. The purpose of prayer in this passage, the purpose of prayer is, and the kind to which Paul is calling the church is kingdom-shaking, gospel-expanding kind of prayer, in addition to comfort and needs. But Paul is trying to move us beyond treating prayer like ibuprofen and to help us see it as something else. Paul calls us to be devoted in prayer. Devoted! That's a really strong word. I don't use that word often. And when I do, I'll say, my wife is a devoted mother. Or I'll say of someone, he's a devoted husband. We might say, we might say about someone that she has devoted her life to curing breast cancer. 
We, we might say to someone that he's devoted his life to care for orphans. And it's in that second sense of devotion, of devotedness, that, that Paul has in mind. See, when someone has devoted their life to the cure of cancer, that means they are pouring out every day of their 50, 60, 70, 80 years on this planet for that one thing. And Paul is asking us to pour ourselves out in prayer, not for wounds, not for comfort, as important as those are, but to devote ourselves to prayer to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he is looking for. Paul doesn't want us to be devoted to prayer for some physical ailment of a neighbor somewhere, but for the gospel of Jesus to go forth to unreached people. For the chains of addiction and despair and hopelessness and idolization of the past in our community to be broken. For those chains to be broken. For our children and grandchildren to really know and love Jesus. And not to just assume that because they go to church and because they give lip service now and again that we can just kind of call it good. It's about praying for those things. It's about praying for the people that don't have the Bible in their language to receive it. It's about praying for people like Jeff and Christy who are trying to use a coffee shop to create some neutral sacred space so that they can have conversations with people far from Jesus who, when they do think of Jesus, thinks he's irrelevant and indifferent. But that's not what we pray for. That's not what we talk to the Father about. And that is because, for one simple reason, we have forgotten that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare and not a domestic intercom to increase the comfort of the saints. It's our boy John Piper. We have forgotten... That prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. We pray with the same tone of voice and the same desire as I call down on a hotel for room service. John Piper goes on to say, Prayer is the walkie-talkie on the battlefield of the world. It calls in the accurate location of the target of the word. It calls in to ask for the protection of air cover. It calls in to ask for firepower to blast open a way for the tanks of the word of God. It calls in the miracle of healing for wounded soldiers. See, it includes healing, but it expands beyond. It calls in supplies for the forces, and it calls in the needed reinforcements. See, Jesus tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He says, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out more workers into his harvest field. Not for us to anxiously wonder if we're going to have enough volunteers to get a certain thing done, but to shake heaven for God, to shake out of their comfort zone people who are far too committed to just sit in church for an hour instead of joining him on mission in the world. We do not devote ourselves to prayer in this way, at least I don't. And that's because we have been tricked into believing that prayer is ibuprofen. We've been tricked into believing that prayer is Novocaine. We've been tricked into believing that we are at peace when we really are at war. We have been tricked into using ballot boxes instead of prayer closets. We have been tricked into using business meetings instead of prayer meetings. We have been tricked into using social media (laughs) instead of going silent and prostrate before the Lord and asking him to move. Where are the people among us who are contending for renewal and revival in our city? 
and in our church? Where, where are the living rooms whose carpets are going bare from knees? Where are the men among us who pray for God's king to move forward? Where are the women among us who come before the throne of grace seeking for God to move in our nation? Where are they? I'm hoping to find some in the room. See, our privileges are intimately tied to and connected to and even give birth to our responsibilities. So the gospel proclaims to me that I am united to Jesus, that Jesus' sonship before God the Father has been shared with me and transferred with me and imputed to me, that I am now God's child with all the rights and privileges that come with that. And the book of Hebrews says that because of all of that, I may boldly enter the throne of grace. I may boldly enter before the throne of grace in my time of need. And Jesus says, ask whatever you need in my name and it will be given to you. He gives us a credit card with no limit other than his own name. And we go in before the throne of grace and what we do is we interrupt our father and we ask him for a band-aid. We ask him for a pain pill. And, and what we forget in that moment is, is two things. First, that we are speaking to and praying to a person of infinite resources and infinite power that could be leveraged to help a world that is burning to the ground. A world that is burning to the ground, that is absolutely falling apart at the seams. Never before in living memory, let's put it this way, in living memory, at least living memory of my generation, have we been so polarized. Never before has race and gender and and just absolute hatred been just the common denominator of our society. Never before have we seen brokenness triumph as wholeness. But actually we have jump back in time to the 1700s, talk to John and Charles Wesley, talk to George Whitfield, talk to the German pietists, talk to the Moravians, and they will tell you about a society in just as much decay, in just as much brokenness, in just as much need, only the difference was that by prayer, not by Christian movies that finally got everybody to be a Christian, not by social media posts that got everybody to start thinking the right way. Not share this, and if you don't, Jesus will deny you before me and my Facebook, Instagram message. But by John Wesley on his knees for hours a day, Charles Wesley on his knees for hours a day, revival came across England, revival came to the colonies, revival came to the continent. A missionary movement was started not by anything else but by prayer. And we go before the, Lord, before the Lord of heaven and earth. We go before our Father who has infinite resources at his disposal. And we keep asking for things that are too small. Listen, we go before the Father and he, we ask him for a band-aid and he is glad to give it. But he is longing for us to ask him for more. We go before the Lord and ask for ibuprofen. The Lord is thinking in his heart and in his head, please, please ask me for more than this. 
please ask me for more than just a band-aid for now. Please just, let's, let's not talk about treating it. Let's talk about healing it, the Father says. But, but we just walk out and our neighbors and our friends' lives are burning to the ground. And we've not even thought for a second that maybe, just maybe, just maybe our Father would have a vested interest in applying his infinite resources and infinite power to our neighbors and our friends who don't know him. This is why our privilege and our responsibility are connected. They're connected. If we use only our privilege for ourselves, how selfish are we? And if our privilege has us cowering in defeat, we're fools. Paul says the task before us is prayer and proclamation. He calls us to kingdom-expanding, gospel-multiplying, nations-changing, heaven-shaking prayer. And he says, but it's not just the work of you praying on your knees privately before the Father. It's not us gathering in a really high-temperature prayer night. He says, eventually, you have to say something. Eventually, you have to tell others. Eventually, you have to proclaim. Eventually, you have to, yes, evangelize. Paul says, I'm going to bring you over here. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Now, if all we had was verse 5, somebody in the back of the room would be like, hallelujah, I knew, I just knew I didn't ever have to be awkward and tell anybody anything I didn't want to. I knew that I could just keep this to myself. See, I knew. St. Francis of Assisi, didn't he say preach the gospel at all times when necessary use words? See, there you go. I, I don't need to talk about it. I can just keep it to myself. You know, religion, I'm no, you don't talk about that in private and, and, and polite company. You keep that to yourself. This is a very personal, private thing. I mean, who am I to tell my neighbor that I'm wrong? Because I'm a millennial and terrified of ever even poking somebody in the wrong direction. I'm an Enneagram 9, and I can't even stand the co- thought of conflict. So, sorry, Andy, and, uh, and I, don't, I don't know what to do. Paul says, yeah, he says live wisely, but that is not our get out of jail free card. Because he goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity, which implies that we're going to be given opportunities, more than one in our lifetime, to proclaim, to say what's true. He says, let your conversation, first of all, did you notice that it's conversation? It doesn't say, go get a poster board and a big black marker and write on it, repent or die and stand on Mahoning Avenue. There's somebody that does this in Warren and just That is just as easy. That person is just as cowardly as the person who refuses to tell anybody because it's outside their comfort zone. I can write anything on a sign. I can tweet anything. I can post anything on social media. Paul says, have a conversation. Look somebody in the eye over a cup of coffee. Say the hard thing. No millennials, you can't use texting. Or you can I guess come to think about it, some of the most fruitful things have happened via text message. Okay, you can text. <laughs> you can text. No Snapchat. Don't do that. That's just, that's just trashy. Don't evangelize on Snapchat. That's, that's beyond the pale. 
Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Gracious and attractive. See, that also stops somebody from, you know, being a big jerk face and then saying, but you know what, I'm off the hook. Because, you know, people just don't like to hear the truth. So I said what's true and they didn't respond well. Well, it might be because you might be a big doo-doo head when you're sharing the gospel. Listen, Paul says, Paul says that the gospel is a stench to those who are perishing and it is an aroma to those who are being saved. Do us a favor. Don't make what's stinky more stinky with your behavior. Listen, Jack's got this double ear infection this week, so he's you know, being blasted by antibiotics. It means what's coming out on the other end is a little stinkier. Well, it got real this week. I mean, it's becoming real human, you know what. And uh, whew. But then you give that kid some antibiotics, and it's like, open that diaper, you basically pass out. So all of you expecting parents, get ready. It's going to be so fun. And, you know, please don't give antibiotics to your telling others. Please don't make what is already more stinky, stinkier, because you just want to be right or self-righteous or correct or know all the answers. Let it be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now, see, Zach Byler is not here, so let's make fun of him for a second. He loves that verse. He's not well. Well, even better to poke at him. Zach Byler sees the right response for everyone. Let me go on. Let me buy 20 apologetic books on Amazon. Let me get down deep. And I'm going to have any, any, per, any line of conversation. I have a tool in my bag. I've got them all. And I, Zach tells me that. I'm like, that sounds really exhausting. I've, <laughs> I, I've been working full time. And I've got a kid at home. And I've got grad school. And I don't know. Maybe could we not? Some of us just want to go to Jesus and say, okay, then we're having the right response to everyone. Say, so, you know, I'm really busy. So how about we say the right response for everyone means like, I just don't have to worry about it. Deal? That doesn't work either. What if having the right response for everyone has more to do with kind of internalizing one way to tell others so that you're always ready? kind of always having something in your back pocket that you can improvise on. And that's where we get to this little tool called the, the three Bs, which uh, I promised you we would come back to this fall. So here we are right under the wire, beginning at quarter four. So someone presents me with an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to them. Zach Byler, four or five years ago, sitting around my kitchen table, looks at me and says, yeah, but Jesus isn't really the only way, is he? talking to another person in our community who now is, you know, just all in. I just don't know if I can give my life to that. That, that scares me. What I would do is I would just start drawing three circles on the back of a napkin and I would start telling a story. And I'd say, listen, you know, the world's a pretty beautiful place sometimes, isn't it? The other day we're driving, I'm drinking my pumpkin spice latte, the, light, the leaves are changing, we're kind of driving across Mosquito Lake, because we're on our way back from our pediatrician and kind of nursing our wounds with pumpkin spice. And I think, man, like, it's really pretty out. The sun is shining. It's not 80 million degrees anymore. I can wear a flannel. This is good. This is, this is, the world is a beautiful place. And, it, and the world is beautiful because God made it that way. God made the world in a way that there would be no pain and, and no problems and no punishments whatsoever. No pain, no problems, and no punishments. But of course, I turn on the news and I'm looking through my social media feed and I'm recognizing that the world is beautiful, but it's also really broken. There, there's something fundamentally wrong with the fabric of the universe, isn't there? I mean, we see sickness 
and suffering and sadness everywhere. I mean, there I am looking at Jack in the back of the car, and he's got this new thing where he's like putting his hand in his mouth and flapping it and going like, blah, 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 blah. I think it's the cutest thing in the world. And then at the same time, friends of friends of friends on social media lost their infant after four days out of the womb because of a birth defect. And I'm thinking, the, you know, how, how is this possible? The world is so fractured and so broken. And it's because at some time in our past, something went wrong. This thing called sin entered the world. And I see that letter I in the middle of that word, and I am reminded that I go my own way. I mean, I can look at people. I mean, I can look at that guy who started shooting, shooting up a city in Europe this week. I mean, I can look at all the terrible things in our world, but I also know there's something going on inside of me, don't I? I go my own way, and I contribute to that brokenness. But the good news is that the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of me, that also broke God's heart. And so God decided to do something about it. God created a way for us to experience beauty again. He wants us to have a chance to be reborn into a world where and into a life where there's freedom and, and forgiveness and a future. Man, I really need freedom from some weird things that happen inside of my head and my heart. I really need to know that God has a plan and a future for me, not just in this life, but forever. I mean, it's so good to know that when I screw up, I can be forgiven. And, and God did that uh, through Jesus. He brought that new birth through, through Jesus. And so, yeah, Zach, Jesus really is the only way because only Jesus can bring about the new birth. Because only Jesus, being totally human and totally subject to our brokenness, could take it all on himself, but only Jesus, who is also God, could cancel the power of that brokenness, to break the breaking, to break the brokenness. And I can experience that new birth simply, as Jesus says, by repenting and believing, which are fancy Bible words for turn and follow. See, when I turn and follow Jesus and I experience that freedom and forgiveness in the future, I actually find my way back into beauty. I find my way back into the way that God was making the world, and I can join him by taking up my responsibility to make the world beautiful again. See, what if I had the three Bs so internalized in my head that when a gospel conversation came up, I, I could say, well, I don't know all the answers to your question, but here's what I do know. What's interesting to me about this passage, and I'll leave it here and Steph can do response time. By the way, I feel like I'm rocking the preaching slow thing, just letting you know. So I'm having like whole conversations in my head in between sentences, just want to let you know. I've got my week planned out, I'm ready. Paul calls us to these responsibilities, but then he noticed, I don't know if you noticed, but in verse three, he had this thing where he said, this is why I'm in chains. I think we are so terrified of being uncomfortable. We are so terrified of being in pain that all we can do is try to use God to minimize the pain and maximize our comfort, and we never even really get to the juiciest part, which is living as disciples for the kingdom and its expansion. And listen, I know some of you came in today, and all you really needed was a touch from Jesus, right? Singing in this worship, you know, that's how people gather to Jesus all the time. They just wanted the miracle. They wanted the teaching. They, they wanted the touch from Jesus. That's why some of you are here. But Jesus this morning is calling you beyond that 
Jesus is saying, take those things and, and invites us to lay down our lives for this. To sacrifice achievement in the eyes of our peers and our neighbors. To sacrifice the approval of the things of this world. To limit our ambition. To cancel out our appetites so that we can join Jesus in prayer for proclamation and expanding the kingdom. That's what he's calling us to. And so uh, Steph's going to lead us in a, in a time of response, and, and maybe this is just where she leads us, and she might lead us somewhere else. But I'm, I'm wondering which one the Father is highlighting today. I don't want you walking out with, ah, crap, now I need to pray more and proclaim, and that sounds like bad news. What is the one thing the Father is asking you out of these two things to do today? So I'll, let me pray, and Steph can take us there. Um, Jesus, thank you that you resist our best attempts to make you smaller. Thank you that you resist um, our best attempts to tame you. And that instead you uh, break out of those. Help us to hear your call to lay down our lives for this one thing. Amen. Um, I just really appreciate Kyle reframing that as good news. Like the Father has good news. And I think often when we think about these things, it can feel so much like something we should be doing or, or man, if I would just do that. Um, but instead, just that invitation. And so this morning, um, I had two questions. Like Kyle said, how is the Father inviting you to expand your prayer life? If it was prayer that was highlighted for you, like what, what was he highlighting? What was the invitation there? Um, is it to pray for bigger things? Is it to pray more deeply for deeper things? Um, and second, who, if it was more the um, proclamation, uh, who is the Father asking you to, to proclaim the gospel to, to share the gospel with? Um, maybe there's a friend or a coworker that has been asking questions, that you can sense some curiosity, but you've just not wanted to be that person, that pushy person. Um, and so... Um, Maybe just join the Father in praying that that conversation would come up naturally, that you would be able to have a conversation. You could use the three Bs. You can use um, just your own personal story and how God has worked. But um, which of the two, um, the prayer or the proclamation, is he really highlighting? And then what's one step you can take this week? So I'm going to take a couple minutes um, just for you to reflect on that. You can write on your program if you'd like, and then we'll uh, take communion.